How's your phone battery life right now? Oh, my phone battery is incredible. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm finding out something interesting at work. If I don't use it for other stuff, like I just listen to podcasts, that's it. I didn't check Facebook. I didn't use Discord. Didn't use Instagram. Nothing. I started in the morning with like 96% battery. When I left after listening to podcasts for eight hours, I had 80% battery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's using the screen and I was like, that is like... Yeah, I was like, holy shit. Like, usually I leave work with like 20 left of me if I'm it's, lucky. It's the screen and the data. So if you download the podcasts, then... I, I, yeah, I just stream them from work Wi-Fi, so I don't even have that issue. It's but funny. I also, M1 Discord and Facebook and Instagram, like yes. back and forth all fucking day long. Usually, you know, well, it's usually your phone looking for data to pull notifications. I mean, I know, I, I know, <laughs> I know, so stupid. I know, I've been vocal before about how like I'm not a big fan of mobile games, but like I have no idea how people play them. They completely drain your battery, like fully and completely. I have no oh, idea yeah. how people do that all day. You leave your like, phone plugged in, <laughs> and then when you gotta take a shit, you bring it in the bathroom and you play your mobile game for five minutes, and then the timer's reset, and then you go back to doing your rest of your life. John plays <laughs> mobile games like twenty hours a day. He has to have some sort of like multiple external brick system. He gave me a spare like phone charger before, so that means he has so many that he could just afford to be like, here, just take this one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know that you can recharge them, so he's like, oh, this one's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets it once. Dude, it's a $100 battery. It only lasts like six hours. Uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys playing anything? What are you guys playing? I'm playing a lot. I just beat Doom Eternal, which I know you're now in the middle of Austin, and we're mm-hmm. both currently playing Resident Evil 3. Yep. And yeah. I'm also in the middle of Ori. You mean the, the most w- divisive game in history? <laughs> I love it. We were talking about this actually just before we started recording. Sorry, not need to cut you off about Ori because I feel like that game probably needs more attention <laughs> considering. No, that's fine. Cut me off. Uh, <laughs> I think the Resident Evil 3 remake reception is kind of similar to Doom Eternal's and that expectations this time around are now different because of how that's much fair. people were blown away by both of those games' predecessors. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Short rundown, RE3 is great. I love it. Yeah. I very much enjoyed what I have played so Doom far. Eternal makes me want to punch a wall. It's still great. It's very hard. It is. I've heard it was hard, but I heard it was fucking good. <laughs> like, it's, it's good, but uh, it's hard. I'm just going to turn it down to easy. There's some directions. Come at me, they... audience. I don't care. I'm turning it down to easy. <laughs> Ori is beautiful and also hard. And then yeah. I started playing Bleeding Edge as well. A little bit. Oh, yeah. How's that Battleborn (laughs) game going? It's not Battleborn. So, that game is interesting. It's basically Overwatch if the people that made DMC made Mm -hmm. Overwatch. It plays like a Devil May Cry game, but it's Overwatch. And it's on Game Pass. I wonder if in the hot button pantheon of audio recordings, we have any audio of you shitting on Bleeding Edge months ago to splice <laughs> up here. I didn't shit on it. It was Randy probably, it was probably it. me. Yeah. Because it looks stupid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's an asshole. Well, yeah, we know that. It's, that's well, why I ex- <laughs> I expected him to shit on it. I was just... <laughs> it just the, the way that that game premiered looked very... Contrived. I don't think any. I, know. I don't think any of us were that, that hot on it because we talked about it in the E3 episode. Yeah, yeah. I like no, Ninja I Theory. Not. Yeah, as the thing. I like that company. Cut a lot, off, so. Jason. Edit out Theory, so my new text tone can be Austin saying, "I love Ninja," and then I can have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. 
I don't. I think that guy sucks, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah. I got a hankering for flying around in a ship in No Man's Sky, which I do every six months. So I <laughs> launched it up, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start from scratch. And I started from the beginning, and I think it's the best it's ever been. I think if anybody's out there can get it on sale right now, I think this is the game they wanted to drop. It's mm. the best it's ever been for sure. I think people will really like it if I we started right it. from scratch right now. Hmm. That and StarCraft 2, we've been I, I, really I hot on that. What other yeah, games our, not from this our, decade have even played? Our quarantine multiplayer games have yes. been uh, you know, World War Z. We're, which was free on Epic. Which was free on to Epic. See. Yes. By the way, come, come at me, our fans as well. Well, fucking Epic Game Store. I have a full library. Haven't never spent a cent. <laughs> yeah, so, there you it's go. great. Yeah. We've been playing some Jackbox Jack, games uh, here and Call there. Call of Duty Warzone? A lot of Call of Duty which Warzone, is, which is awesome. Which is really good. It's really it's, good. Yeah, I like it much more than it's I... It's probably the best Battle Royale. Yeah, and probably the most interesting thing that Call of Duty has done in a while. In it looks great. I was, yeah. I was enjoying uh, seeing you play a couple weeks back. Also uh, free. Um, yeah. Me, Jason, the engineer, our friend Dom, and our friend Mike... <laughs> so I was like, what should I call him on the podcast? We were playing The Cycle last night for a while. Oh, That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. You should yeah. let me know next time you're playing that, because I have it downloaded. For sure. It. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, and I was yeah. playing a little bit back, like, maybe two or three weeks ago. I played it it's, when it's it a first lot of fun. came out. It is fun, but I never got to it's play with It's a little choppy. People. I think yeah. your computers will definitely be all right. I know me and Convo are having trouble a little bit. I think we both have <laughs> 960s, so yeah. that's... You were messing with Tabletop Simulator. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were playing board games. I kicked my roommate's ass in Candyland <laughs> on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, <laughs> So, let the record show that I am the best at Candyland, and that that game is not completely escalators. Yeah, (laughs) and eels and escalators, which is just shoots and ladders, but SpongeBob themed. For sure, though, you gotta get on StarCraft too. I got my APM up. Me and Dom been playing ranked. We're just going. We're going ham. I was about to say, bizarrely enough, none of us are playing the same game that everybody else on the planet is playing right now with Animal Crossing, but then you just got it a few few days ago. Fuck the bunny. Yes, our former guest, uh, (laughs) Melanie and Jason, our engineer, are sitting out on my porch right now playing it. Oh, I know that's what Chelsea's (laughs) doing right now, For all y'all Animal Crossing players out there, I just want to say, fuck that bunny. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think you're alone in that. (laughs) I'm not. People do not. I know uh, I'm not. Like that that Easter event. (laughs) Zipper? Yeah. He can go fuck himself, and him and his eggs can fuck off my island right now. That's all I'm going to say. It's interesting. It's like, well, obviously not to make light of what's happening in the world, but we're privileged enough to be able to be playing video games, and we're on a video game podcast, so it's appropriate for us to talk about what we're playing. Oh, totally. Um, There's no shortage of that this time. Is, this, all this game playing is in between the panic attacks about the rest of the oh, world. Oh, yeah. In between the fact that I am out there still working yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It's, I'm worried, um, I'm worried it's, about my income, and then I check my computer, and, uh, and I'm like, oh, like, Siege and, like, Overwatch got new updates. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, killing floor, yeah. yeah. But it's cool. There's like a big backlog of stuff. Like I just installed Diablo 3 and Dragon Age Inquisition, which I have like two hours left a piece on to oh, finish. No. I just couldn't bear to get through. <laughs> so I was just like, I'll just like barrel through <laughs> the end of those two. I'm pretty sure there's audio of me already ranting about Dragon Age Inquisition. So <laughs> I am a defender. That. I don't hate that game. I All actually right. like Inquisition. I don't hate but it. But Diablo 3 is obviously just, it, it's, a, it's another weird one. I don't know if I'm going to get into. <laughs> You know they're making a fourth one? It's wild. <laughs> what? What? 
That was a cool trailer. It was a very cool trailer. That was a cool trailer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, maybe we'll get into some games tonight. We had a couple of fun rounds of Uno in between me. Uh, Dude, fuck that game. Filling out you want to my unemployment. You want to go on a rant? Fuck Uno. <laughs> fuck Ubisoft. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't have a strict net, you pieces of shit. Let me play my DLC for fuck's sake. This was the shit that me and Chelsea ran into with Far Cry like years ago. Yeah, fuck Ubisoft, dude. <laughs> it's you play. It's just, fuck Ubisoft, yeah. fuck Just Dance, fuck the Rabbids, uh, fuck <laughs> let's not and say Altair. things that we can't take back. Yeah, whoa, whoa, not <laughs> the Rabbids. Fuck everything except for Rocksmith and Far Cry 3 and 4. Okay. And Siege. Yeah. Yeah. And Watch Dogs. Yeah, Watch Dogs cool. is Yeah, right. Watch Dogs is cool. And a couple Va of those Assassin's Creed. And and you, you had like Valiant Hearts and Valiant Hearts uh, is good. Child of Light is good. Let's get into the it. Crew yeah. too. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. So uh welcome back to another social distancing episode of Hot Button. I'm Randall Beatrice here in the studio with Austin Blakesley right. and our remote host for the multi parter ahead, Chris Anantuano. Hey. I gotta move <laughs> Sorry, I talked over your introduction at Austin. No, right? I gotta move six feet away from you. Hold on. <laughs> Why'd you move closer to me? <laughs> I was about to say it's called the studio. We relatively <laughs> it's called social distancing, dumbass. Uh -oh. <laughs> Trying to get rid of social distancing and be closer as a people, right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Following all the guidelines. Uh, I'm joking, but in all seriousness, social distance people. <laughs> so our topic today is actually going to be kind of a big one here. A full history of what is arguably the most powerful company in all of video games right now? Is that safe to say? Activision uh, Blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, developer, publisher, engine maker, hardware manufacturer, runner of monstrously popular digital distribution service, monopoly owner, lawsuit participant, they got it all. And that's including the cool logo. I'm talking, of course, about the little studio that can't count to three, Valve. Renowned creators of Half-Life, Counter-Strike, kinda, Portal, kinda, Left 4 Dead, kinda, Team Fortress, kinda, Dota, barely, Artifact, but however way Artifact, kinda. <laughs> but however way you frame it, the reach of this massive tech conglomerate and its Steam platform are almost unavoidable for those gaming on their gaming rigs, both hardcore and casual. Their knife-wielding president, Gabe Newell, still remains a key person in the field while his now rich-as-fuck 23-year-old baby has ties in everything from physics software to VR. Chris, give us the rundown on the guy with the valve in his eye, or Wait. that other bald dude with the valve on the back of his head. Before you get into it, I just want to point out, we just went through like 10 minutes of talking about what we're playing. Like, two of those games were on Steam. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. You're like saying they're losing, losing market share. Yeah. <laughs> well, Zoics. so originally, when we were talking about doing this, I was like, that's a great fucking story. How did two guys who were already rich become billionaires? <laughs> or at least one guy Your who favorite. was already rich become yeah. a billionaire. It's an interesting story because obviously Valve is important and they used to be very small time and they were very big players and now they are literally like you said, they have, I think 5 billion is something like they're, it's insane for a video game company yeah. to be worth Jeez. that much and have this much power. <laughs> so I thought it was an interesting story so I was like alright, let's get into it. What are we going to do? I was originally thinking one episode. <laughs> I don't know why. I always do that. Like, oh, we'll do one. I think every multi-parter from the beginning is always planned to be one at first. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah. and then I was like, oh, wait, they created Half-Life. 
and then Half-Life 2, and then all, <laughs> and then Steam, and all this stuff. So this may very well end up being three parts, <laughs> as we talked about. And we'll split it up. I'm going to go chronologically. So we'll try to stay in as much order as possible. Cool. And maybe even split them up like we do with the Tetris, break it up, do a couple in between, and come back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think mostly because the beginning of their history is kind of stable, but towards the end they're in all sorts of fucking things, like VR and Artifact and Steam <laughs> Box and all this shit. So maybe best reserved to keep all that goofy shit for its own self-contained. Oh, I can't wait episode. to talk about my experiences with that. As with a, the Steam machine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so today, though, on episode one, we're just going to do a little bit of history. Cool. Cool, cool. So, and I do have to say that a lot of these games, by the way, that I named, like, I do have a lot of love for. And we <laughs> will talk about them, probably not even in this episode. That's how much <laughs> fucking stupid history this comes No, that's is. fine, I, yeah. I will say that I had a plan to do sort of a multi-part series on games that came from mods. <laughs> and I just yeah. named them all, didn't I? <laughs> and, and then I looked at the list and was like, oh, it's all Valve. Plus, it, yes. like, one other it game. It is crazy to see, to think how much their library is built on... Yeah, it's almost like they don't All know right, how to make up. video we'll games. We'll okay, get there. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, our story begins in 1983. The internet as we know it was beginning. The Famicom was released in Japan. Return of the Jedi was in theaters. Fraggle oh, Rock. The final episode of MASH aired. Yeah, wasn't and that longer Stanis- than the Korean War actually was? It was. <laughs> and Stanislav Petrov saved the world from a nuclear war when he recognized that a bug in the Soviet early warning system was a false alarm and not an American attack which warranted retaliation. Oh, Thank you, Stanislav Petrov. Thank you. Not enough praise to that man. <laughs> no. I believe there is a statue to him somewhere, but he deserves the praise and he saved literally our entire species. <laughs> More than a plaque on a park bench. Also, yeah. 1983, the world was just recovering from Pac-Man fever. It's true. <laughs> As a reference to our last episode. Pac-Man well, fever. while all this stuff was happening, far from all those corporate cocaine and sex parties of the 80s, Woo. a 21-year-old Colorado-born man named Gabe Newell was about to make the best decision of his life. <laughs> While in college, Newell went out to visit his brother in Washington State, and instead of enjoying the city, he found himself hanging out at his brother's job because his brother was too busy at work at his new software company job to do anything. Mm. Gabe spent so much time there distracting his brother, and then a man named Steve Ballmer, I don't know if that sounds familiar. Yeah, the um, owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, at the time, Steve Ballmer didn't own the Clippers. He said, well, if you're going to be spending all your time hanging out here, you need to do something useful. So, like all smart people who knew anything about computers in the 80s, Newell dropped out of Harvard and then went to work at that little up-and-coming software company. Do you want to know what it was? Wait, didn't he, he worked for Microsoft, didn't he? It's the Microsoft Corporation. <laughs> oh, damn it. It's one of the two. It's it or it. <laughs> Also, Steve Steve Ballmer, goddamn Nikki uh, Jakey keeps like it's just embedded into my head now to call Microsoft Microsoft. 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 <laughs> oh yeah, spelling typing Microsoft fast. I always go M I C R O S. I think it's S F O T for some reason. <laughs> I've had to correct it like a hundred times, dude. When I was doing um, the, when I was doing the Xbox episode, I typed out the word Microsoft so much that it lost all meaning. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's an odd position on the keyboard to it like is. bounce there. It's weird. So yeah, Steve Ballmer was the head of Microsoft for quite a few years before he ended up owning the Clippers and moving on. <laughs> so Gabe, you know, he would spend the next 13 years working at Microsoft. Even though there isn't a whole lot out there about the specifics of his time there, though if it's anything like any other tech companies, it's all fast cars and loose women. You know what I mean, guys? <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> I don't work in tech. I don't. That's what my job is exactly. <laughs> oh. I just ride Lamborghinis all day. Well, not anymore because of the pandemic, but I used to. There are a few things worth mentioning, though, from his time there. Number one, while he was there, he worked as a producer on the first three versions of the Windows operating system, which is pretty fucking cool. Literally on his that's resume, important. it's like, Windows 1. Like, <laughs> that's just a very, like... Uh, I think he needs a resume at this point. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the second and more arguably important one, in 1987, a few years after Newell started at Microsoft, a programmer from Dynamix, a developer best known for its Red Baron flight simulator game, which I kind of like remember Why does about that sound back in the day. Like the Snoopy thing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so that programmer joined the operating system team, and that programmer's name was Mike Harrington, who a lot of people probably yes. don't really know. Yeah, well, he, which is he, interesting. Like, I know you'll get into this, I'm sure, but he like bounced kind of early out of the Valve. Yeah. Family, but he? Mike yeah. Harrington is incredibly important to the history of both Half-Life and this company yeah. as a whole. I'm real curious what his role is, kind of. I never super knew. Yeah. So, my last and most important, in my opinion, of things that happened while Gabe was working at Microsoft is Doom 95. So, apparently, at the time, Microsoft was moving towards Windows 95. There was a bunch of chatter that Windows wasn't a good gaming platform. This is in 1995. There's some shade getting thrown. We did talk about this (laughs) a little bit in the DirectX part of the Xbox. Oh, yeah. 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 If Games for Windows was any indication, I don't think they really (laughs) did a little much better in the future. But They got uh, it it now. Yeah, they got it now. now. (laughs) So, at the time, Doom had a shareware that was just released and Gabe had installed it on his laptop and he forced everyone around the Microsoft office to play it saying quote look at what PC games can do this is a lot better than your NES system or your Sega system he's so fucking old yeah, that's, that's, system that's like, in 95 like <laughs> even then that guy was getting involved in the console wars dude yeah, fuck yeah, him yeah. Yeah. he was so excited about that fucking Doom shareware that he called up John Carmack who's the co-founder of famed id software the developer of doom and also wolfenstein and quake and kind of a pillar of gaming development <laughs> like, history in I'd general like to point out too that all three of those games had console ports by like 95 <laughs> like as well. yes <laughs> yeah ever heard of the sega 32x version of doom asshole that's a bad version of doom. <laughs> come on dude gabe and get your shit Somehow together in my research the nintendo 64 cd drive came up a bunch yeah. and i was like what a weird yeah i would love to do an episode on the disc drive. It Doom never came out rules. Yeah. Just, just gonna say that. Doom 64? Dope. <laughs> I wanna play the remaster. <laughs> I have the well, original. Yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Cool. <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but there was a web archive of like video of the original shareware that was out that I found. At first, I was like, wait, can I play this? And I was like, oh, it's just a video, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people probably hate Doom 64. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. them. 
That was my exposure to Doom because I didn't have a good computer. I had that red SNES cartridge. That was... Well, yeah, Doom 95 was my <laughs> exposure way back and fucking my brother had it. Yeah. So, Gabe told Carmack, I will port Doom to Windows for free. That's how excited he was about this. He said, and he went about assembling a team of engineers to do so. Whoa, whoa, a Doom and- port? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. And uh, all of, all of this resulted in Doom ninety five. So we have Gabe and a team of people to thank for Doom ninety five because he was so hype about it. He yeah. ported it to Windows. Was he also the Columbine shooter's favorite for porting it to my toaster? Or was that <laughs> somebody on YouTube? I, can't, I was no. He did report it to your smart fridge though. Sorry, he ported yeah. it to the smart fridge. Okay, cool, cool. The new steam machine is a fridge. <laughs> it's about it's about time. So, a few years earlier, another Microsoft employee by the name of Michael Abrash, or Abrash, I'm not sure, we'll just say Abrash, because that sounds right. He had left the company, Microsoft, to go work for id Software as well, developing code for their now-upcoming game called Quake, set to be released in 1996. Quake. Sometime, yes. Which, I don't, I've never played Quake, I know of Quake, I recognize Trent it. Trent Reznor composed the score and did the voice of the main character. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, actually, yeah, sorry. And, I guess the Quake ports did not happen when I said before, because that was a little later. First Quake <laughs> yeah. I played was Quake 4. Is that a good one? Qua- you play Quake 4 <laughs> is not a good game. No? <laughs> All right. Quake 3 in the Dreamcast. That's Yeah. Sorry, Chris. So, uh, no, it's okay. This is the whole point. So uh, sometime later, Abrash and John Carmack told Gabe and his pal Mike Harrington, you guys should think about getting into game development yourselves. They had that contact with them because of Doom 95 and all that stuff. Yeah. So in the summer of 1996, they were invited to id Studio, where the two men, Newell and Harrington, tossed around a few ideas with John Carmack, who then said, quote, great. Here's the source code to Quake. Go build a game. (laughs) And that's what I sent to you the other day when I was like, well, that's all we need for the development story. And thus, Uh, Call of Duty was born. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) So apparently, Abrash was one of the few who thought anything would come of this. Most of the id staff were either not interested or they were not confident that two guys with no industry experience who had lived the office life developing operating systems and productivity software would get anything done. Plus like, they were too why? busy making fucking Daikatana. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Daikatana's a little bit later. No, I thought that was around that era. Oh, no, that was like 2000. <laughs> Never mind. But it, um, it was in development for a long time, yes. I think. Yeah. Oh, no, it was, because it comes up when it's still in the 90s. Oh, man. So, doesn't matter, though. Even without the experience, that same summer, Gabe Newell and Mike Harrington both left Microsoft after 13 and 9 years, respectively, and set off on their own. Damn. And on August 24th, 1996, on Newell's wedding day, they signed the business license, and Valve LLC was founded. Hey. Which is, well, on your wedding day. He's just, like, signing what? a business license. Wait, what? Really? <laughs> yeah. It was on Gabe's wedding day. Yeah, they signed the business license. He's married? <laughs> Did you find yes, that more? Yes, he is married. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought, is it to his knives? <laughs> I don't know if he's still married, but he was in 1996. There's going to be a lot of knife jokes. Yeah, he chopped just, her up into little pieces uh, and hit her in the whoa. walls. Whoa, Jesus. Whoa, Jesus. Hey, whoa. I'm kidding. I, he's not, <laughs> Gabe Newell's not, like, a murdering psychopath. Hey, he just likes knives. Yeah. He's a hobbyist. Well, <laughs> He's an enthusiast of sharp objects. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what would our little upstart do for their first project? Something low stakes, dip their toes into the development waters a little bit, set out to make a B game, not an A game? Well, here's a quote from Michael Abrash. The model for starting a company, and I think one I think Gabe and Mike followed, and Carmack would tell you this in a second, is to just ship something. End quote. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mike Harrington would agree. Often new companies that try to come out of the gate too big end up getting stuck behind the curve, being too late to release, or outright going bankrupt. I brash again. Quote, if a company sets out to do a killer game, it gets stuck behind the curve and ends up being too late with the product, which generally turns out to be a B game or worse anyway. So, did Valve listen? Or did they go for a massively ambitious, narratively and technologically genre-defining 3D shooter? They just just shipped something, dude. It just so happened to be one of the best first-person shooters ever created. (laughs) Completely made by accident, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll soon find out that they didn't just ship something, as the rest of their history will show you. (laughs) Yeah, unlike last year with Artifact. Yeah. (laughs) So, at this point, we're going to do a little heist movie scene when the boys gather the team. In this case, instead of gathering a team of explosive experts, ninjas, and getaway drivers who just (laughs) missed getting molested by a southern congressman, our team is full of nerds and logistical things you need to make a video game. Was that a Kevin Spacey baby driver reference? (laughs) That was, thank you. Okay, I applaud you, sir. So let's start with our... I wish we could watch that movie with the same magic that we did when it came out. (laughs) Yeah, it had such a short short time. Time of not being repulsive. I know. I know. No, Dustin, I'm glad I got in there. I'm glad. I, yeah, we me, should, me too. They should just yeah. deep fake somebody else in there and just hey, release it, it the movie. It worked for Christopher Plummer for that one movie that he yeah, got like an right. Oscar for. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it was so, um, I don't remember. Let's start with our base of operations. Monica Harrington, a marketing executive at Microsoft and married to Mike Harrington, as you would guess, she would eventually act up being the marketing and PR manager for Valve as well. So she thought that her husband was going to be working out of a garage space game studio, but was surprised by the seriousness when, quote, I woke up when he told me he and Gabe would be signing a five-year lease for office space in downtown Kirkland. Now, that's Kirkland, Washington, which is less than 10 miles away from Microsoft's campus. Wow. (laughs) This wasn't some underfunded garage project company. Gabe Newell and Mike Harrington invested a lot of their own wealth into Valve Startup because the two men were actually not just programmers, they were Microsoft millionaires. And that's a term, Microsoft millionaire, which is used to describe Microsoft employees who were there so early, they became millionaires from the early stock options they had at the company. Oh my god, I didn't know that was a phrase. (laughs) There is a phrase called Microsoft millionaires to describe people who worked at Microsoft in the early days. All of them, hundreds of them, became millionaires from the early stock options. And two of them happened to include Gabe and... Mike Harrington. So, huh. so what we're learning is all game development can be traced back to Bill Gates and John Carmack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty <Okay>. much. <laughs> it all started with them. Nobody made any games before them. <laughs> hey, Alexi didn't. Yeah, he actually <laughs> he came met, from he nothing. actually ran into John Carmack as a baby. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, John Carmack blessed him. <laughs> yeah, same with the Pac-Man guys. They tripped over Bill Gates's baby carriage. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they came up with the idea for Miss Pac-Man. Fucking <laughs> <Like> Christ. <laughs> so, they got their base operations. It's time for a team. Aside from the Quake engine, Carmack had also given the men a list of names of people who were out there doing cool things with the Quake engine. Harrington and Gabe went about scooping all those people up and offering them opportunities to drop out of college and work for an upstart tech company, which just seems to be everybody's fucking dream. I guess (laughs) I'll take this second, because I did have a point I wanted to make earlier, is that while Valve is very fucking successful and they were very lucky and they recognized that, they were also, like, incredibly privileged to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Like, people tend to forget, like, it's, like, this whole myth that you can just go do something. But yeah. it's, like, they happened to be millionaires during the tech boom and <laughs> had the opportunity to drop out of college and do and all this. I made the joke, but they had connections to people like John Carmack and Steve exactly. Ballmer. Like, you can't just go around and hire people who are doing cool things with the Quake engine without knowing the company that made Quake and the the person yeah. that made Quake, yeah. you know? Exactly. And yeah. even in that case, there was a story where they're emailing people, like emailing all these guys who are doing work with the Quake engine, and even those guys are like, I'm hesitant to answer this email. like, And then they do, and they're like, all right, we got you a ticket, we got you a hotel and a car. Like, of course they would come work for you, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's totally true, too. When you think about, you know, the pillars of gaming right now, especially console manufacturers it's not like a new one is suddenly going to appear anytime soon you know yeah. it's like, and in fact the three major ones one of them's a company that's been around for 200 years yeah. and the other two are fucking founded in billion dollar general tech companies exactly you know? yeah I just want to take this opportunity as always to point out that people with money have incredible privilege no you're 100% even right in like <laughs> these circumstances it's not some fucking rags to riches story granted he did start off you know just as a programmer he still went to fucking Harvard he yeah, still yeah. dropped out of Harvard <laughs> Dropped out of Harvard, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many people out there are like I'm going to venture out and be the next Valve? <laughs> like, I'm I mean, gonna they, make my they own were Steam, they were like... incredibly smart. They wouldn't have gotten where they were without being smart. But oh, fucking yeah. a, they were. Yeah. It was exactly. I don't want to take that away from them either. And money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were both incredibly smart, and they're both really good programmers, obviously. Yeah. So Gabe would be in an ambiguous sort of leadership kind of director role, doing a ton of different things, and Harrington would actually settle in to be lead programmer. And the rest of the team we filled in by a group of incredibly talented artists and programmers. And I also just want to point out here that this game ends up being this way for a lot of reasons, obviously, but it's easy for us to forget that there's a ton of talented people involved when you have somebody like Gabe Newell at the head of your company. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like tough to... To get lost. Obviously, I wish this podcast could just be me listing the biography and credits of every <laughs> single person involved, but that's unfortunately boring. So, I mean, even now, how many employees does Valve have? Like hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. for sure. Three hundred and sixty as of twenty sixteen. Like the Xbox. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so, next member of the team. The Quake Engine, which is a very important member of the team. It's developed by id, obviously. It had true 3D, real-time rendering, light maps, and a load of other incredibly innovative and powerful features. So, like, true 3D meant that it's kind of literally self-explanatory. Like, they would always use, like, camera tricks and fixed sprites and things like that in old games to make them give the illusion of 3D, you know? Yeah, This was actually 3D. Real-time rendering was brand new, pretty much, coming out, where you could render 
graphics in real time. That's yeah. way over my I fucking mean, head when, when I was researching. About, when you think about just the step up from Doom and Wolfenstein to Quake, yeah, like <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> which one of my favorite parts about it, which is an incredibly really cool thing, is something that still kind of plays in a lot of games today. And it's an interesting way that they managed to get things compressed. So basically, you would build your map. You know, you would build your 3D map, and it would have spaces that are inside of the map that you would use and spaces that are outside sort of backdrops and walls and void and shit like that. It's kind of like how, like, you know, in Counter-Strike, when you would go to the free-look mode, if you would go, like, under the map, it would just be, like, empty gray space and yeah. mountains in the distance and stuff like Good that. Good old no-clip, you know? yeah. Basically, the whole point was that they would render these entire 3D environments, and then the program would cut off all the backsides of any surface that wasn't facing where the play area was. So you would save all uh, of that, like, I guess, space that you would otherwise Yeah, you wouldn't have to render all that stuff. Like, it's you wouldn't have to memory. render any of the stuff on the backside. That's why when you go behind the clipping in games like that, it's all half, like, a cylinder would just be half a cylinder, you know? And then your background are just big backdrops. That you know? philosophy is still being implemented very much today. Absolutely. I mean, we saw the Mark Cerny, like, PS5 tech showcase that stream that was, like, the GDC talk that wasn't at GDC because yeah. it got canceled, but he talks very openly about the kind of player... Yeah, it's absolutely one of the best things they do is yeah. you create this big empty void and you create, like, a map in it. That's why it's, like, a lot of games you'll see, like... Like, in Destiny is a good example... Oh my god, why did I forget their name? Because they're so irrelevant to me. Bungie is masterful at the map paintings. That is like their Yeah, Bungie yeah. is really good at sandboxes, but a mm. lot of like things, even things that might be on separate worlds, are kind of in the same sandbox. You'll see like an objective that's way in the distance, but you're realizing that it's just because it's like picture a self contained map and then scroll back your mouse wheel and yeah. there's another self contained map over here. <laughs> and just through trickery you get teleported there you know what i mean but yes. it's technically all kind of on the same plane that's yeah. how a lot of speed running glitches happen right yeah, yeah. If you ever watch exactly this, you can like a good example of this is if you ever watch a speed run of ocarina of time yeah because like that entire mm -hmm. game is like loaded into memory and you can just like roll into certain walls and teleport to other parts of the map <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it is it's, it's fucking incredible and it's just it's just a really cool thing like that is kind of commonplace in games and it started here which is really fucking cool so valve took that engine code and modified about 70 percent of it and created their own version called gold src which i'm assuming is an abbreviation source. for source which obviously is a bit of a hey something's coming there <laughs> so they added direct 3d support they added skeletal animation which is incredibly important and they attached an ai system that they had built from scratch which is also fucking incredibly innovative yeah all three of those things really gave them a leg up so now for a publisher that's badass. Much like their experience with members of the id team, Valve's lack of industry experience and ambition would hurt them while they were hunting for publishers. Quote, It was sort of weird going from Microsoft where you were really respected going into a meeting with the game publisher, and then now we're out here where game publishers are saying, Go away! Stop bugging me! Come back with credibility! <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote from Gabe. Apparently during one meeting they had... 
they mentioned that they wanted to develop the game using the skeletal animation system, and the publisher immediately said, okay, meeting's over, wow. and then kicked them out. No, when you say um, publisher, are you referring to who I think you are? Because I always forget that they... Uh, yes. Okay, so I, I always forget that the first release of Half-Life was published by yeah. them, because like that is not what they're normally known for in the oh, industry. No. Yeah. And these quotes I'm talking about are from other publishers. They kind of oh, shop okay. around all over the place. You know oh, what I mean? They were really that, looking. These are the people that turned them yeah. down. Also yeah. turned it down. Yeah. yeah. Just to tell people how important the Quake engine is, <laughs> not to go back to it, but all of its games and all of Call of Duty is built on the Quake 2 and Quake 3 engine. engine. Until last year, right? Like, 2019 was, is that the first Call of Duty that... No, they've been saying for years, they're like, we're, we're not using the there? Quake engine anymore, but... Yeah, they still, still are. are. <laughs> <laughs> still are. <laughs> hey, it just go the longevity of, they got yeah. some fucking use out of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It definitely probably deserves its own developer episode by us because they are absolutely their tech and yeah. their legacy is yeah. in there but we pretty much kind of cover them <laughs> i did unreal and covered a little bit of it in there but i think i'm probably eventually going to do an id tech engine episode because yeah. i mean like i said bits and pieces cover their entire history throughout every other episode of our show like that's how fucking yeah. that's important true they yeah. are. i joked about it but it is kind of unavoidable to talk <laughs> about the founding of any software company in the 90s and not talk about id <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, Gearbox came from there. We talked about it then. I'm doing a research. came um, from there, kind of. Valve came from there. I'm doing research on an episode right now that is like intersects with that. Like, yep. Yep. It's impossible not to. So, <laughs> yeah, with that so, aside from people telling them to come back with credibility or saying, okay, meeting's over when their ideas are too ambitious, Gabe said, it turns out that most of them thought we were on crack. He literally <laughs> said that. What? That's what these publishers <laughs> thought. I mean, crack is not the first thing I think of if I saw those guys, but oh well, maybe I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> finally, the company catches a break when Ken Williams, he's a co-founder and industry veteran publisher, Sierra Online. Yes, known for mostly graphic adventure games, like yeah, yeah and like, so many of King's them. Quest and I mean, stuff like, like that. Yeah, so many of them. Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> He calls them in for a meeting, and this is from Ken Williams. Quote, I had been aggressively looking for some product in the Quake genre. That's what it was called at the time. The, the Quake, Quake genre. genre. Before the first-person shooter was, <laughs> or arena yeah. shooter. Even was though like, it had a pretty much a monopoly on FPSs that is true, for the yeah. first 10 years. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Duke Nukem? <laughs> <laughs> Nuke Duke. Um, so I was I had been aggressive for the coming I, weeks, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had been aggressively looking for some sort of product in the Quake genre. I was looking at licensing one of the 3D shooter engines and was negotiating with id and some others. Now, this aggression probably comes from the fact that Sierra had missed out on purchasing id in the 90s. Oh. Apparently, a deal fell apart over some upfront cash that Sierra didn't want to pay. Wow. But they almost owned fucking id. I wonder how much that was for. <laughs> yeah. This is another quote from Ken Williams. I did like Doom, but I saw okay. it as a one-trick pony. By the Damn. time I decided we wanted to be into the genre, we were too far behind. With 2020 hindsight, I blew it when I had the chance to buy it, and I didn't. <laughs> well, 
that is in one reason. And then another is that Sierra had lost some of its creative clout through the 90s by churning out those fucking adventure games like you were talking about, <laughs> yeah. like a goddamn assembly line. I mean, seriously, go look at the fucking list on Wikipedia. It's just scrolling, scrolling <laughs> of all those fucking garbage games. Oh, yeah, there were a lot. Yeah, <laughs> King's Quest, Police Quest, uh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Sierra was really hoping that Valve would help them get some of their creative clout back and get those fires going again. Whoa, whoa, Phantasmagoria, man. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, continue. (laughs) So, apparently, on the day of the meeting, well, not apparently, this happened, it's history, such a rare occurrence (laughs) happened, it snowed in Seattle, and apparently that shut the city down. And the team were like, no, we're fucking going to this meeting. So they went to the meeting, and they were greeted by Ken Williams, who was the only person in the entire fucking building who what? came to work. <laughs> yeah, It's like snow in the South. Like, they lose their minds. <laughs> About 30 minutes into the meeting, Williams was hooked, and Valve landed their publisher. Hey, that worked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you showed me Half-Life, I'd be pretty sold in like a half-hour time period. Base? Check? Team, check. Tech, check. Publisher, check. Time for a game itself. (laughs) What about its narrative and its style? So they knew they wanted to scare people like Doom. That was one of the first things. They cited Doom over and over again as being a major influence, but I feel like Doom was kind of everybody's influence if you were making an <laughs> FPS. That's very true, that but period. I think you just mean like specifically with their horror DNA. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but Gabe saw an inspiration from some other places too. For starters, an episode of the show Outer Limits um, <laughs> by the title of The Borderland. Now let me just read you this quote from the episode. <laughs> just gave it. <laughs> What's Border- that? Borderland. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's called Borderland. This is a quote from the wiki description for that episode of Outer Limits. The storyline involves a team of scientists who use an incredibly strong magnetic field to open a door to another dimension. So the mist. (laughs) Well, what was the other inspiration? Stargate. Stephen King's novella, The Mist. (laughs) All right. (laughs) In which monsters from a creepy fog seeds a bunch of people in a grocery store. In The Mist, the fog comes from a military base, which is home to something called the Arrowhead Project. Yes. This became the inspiration for Valve's project working title, Quiver. Hmm. So now they have a working title. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I can't fucking believe how many times I've played Half-Life and have seen that movie and read that novel that I never made the connection before that they might have had some like shared like ideas. <laughs> Me either. Yeah. Not serious. Not a, yeah, same. <laughs> so as far as how the game played, Gabe believed that shooters were going down a path where the focus was leaning towards graphics, narrow gameplay, and desire for big shooty guns over stories. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a specifically a chap at Duke Nukem or what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think it was almost a quake jab because one of his quotes in there is like, people are like, I don't want stories. I want a rocket launcher that shoots right. faster. And like, part of me is like, cool. I do like stories and games too, but it's like almost kind of like, it's I hate little, when people yeah, are like, it's like, they, Ugh, games are turning out like this. And it's like, shut up and just play a different yeah, it's game. It's like then. they can coexist. <laughs> like, yes, Quake was at heart an action game, but it, it was much more like multiplayer focused and like also, had a faster pace. Also, like was, look at the irony of gaming history where everything dipped into these massive open world storytellings and now everybody's like, I just want to 
four-hour game. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention he's taking inspiration from a game that has a gun that's an abbreviation for big fucking gun. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but no, like it's like Half-Life is a very like narrative-driven thing, especially when you compare it to other first-person shooters of that era. Especially of that era. Absolutely, but it's still oh, a shooter. Like there are still like big set pieces and game. shootouts and yeah. explosions. I mean, yeah, and, that's a dumb. Like, that's a dumb way to say what he said. But I feel what he's getting at. Yeah. You think about shooters of the early two thousands, like, like somebody, Halo. That sounds like what somebody that made System Shock would say. You know, like or Deus Ex, not who made Half Life. Like sure. Uh, yeah, but like it's sort of bridging the gap between Quake and an immersive sim like a Deus Ex yeah, or something. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, that, think about it. The first 20 minutes of Half Life, nothing happens. Exactly. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's similar to, well, it's, it's very similar to Halo. Yeah. 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 That's true. Except one's better, and it's Halo. <laughs> I knew you were going to fucking do that. <laughs> Well, another one of the reasons this frightened Valve is because they were taking a big risk by dumping a lot of their resources into something that might not even be of interest to anyone if games were going that direction. They moved forward anyway with a release date goal of November 1997 to compete with the release of Quake 2. And they finally chose a name that would reflect the project's themes and a symbol to go along with that. Lambda. They chose the Greek letter Lambda, yes, which in mathematics represents the decay constant in the Half-Life equation. And thus, oh. we get Half-Life. Hey, it goes without saying, that's a great fucking name. And it's a dope logo. <laughs> Valve, not one for subtlety. I'll say that no. much. Why? What does Portal, oh, what speaking does portal of mean? Valve themselves... The name Valve, it was kind of a boring decision. They were literally just like, ah, oh, we wrote down a list of things and we kind of just narrowed it down until everybody liked one and it happened to be Valve. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say they just stared at the wall and they saw the Valve yeah. and they were like, eh. Oh, I read names like Rhino Scar was a suggestion. <laughs> Fruit Fly Ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> what? That sounds like something in you're in the fake band name Discord channel. Yeah, I know. Shout <laughs> <laughs> out have you heard of discord channel <laughs> ecstasy reaper <laughs> yes yeah. i'm very proud of you for that one yeah. that was a great one <laughs> one of my favorite names that i actually saw that could have been was hollow box which i was like all right that's actually a pretty good uh, developer company name I mean, I like it's, that. it's better than the other two but valve yeah. is punchy like you know like it's valve is punchy yeah. it's good there's a reason they landed on it yeah so let's fast forward to September 1997. With just two months to go, Half-Life is all ready to be released and things are going fine, like all video games, right? And it'll be out with no problems and no horrible working conditions to meet deadlines, right? <laughs> oh, shit, I, right, guess the, I, guess, I guess that's timeless, ain't it? Yeah. Right? yeah. Wait, you said, you, wait, wait, of... you said September 1997? September 1997. Oh, so like when GoldenEye came in. Wait, no, GoldenEye was August. Damn. <laughs> oh my god, shut up and don't bring up GoldenEye Don't again. bring up Halo! Halo's better than GoldenEye. <laughs> I'm sorry, Austin Goldeneye is going to come up again in just a minute. I apologize. Yeah! So, quote, a whole lot of work had been done, but there was one major problem. The game wasn't any fun. That was a quote Damn. from September 1997. And it's a problem they never fixed. Oh, fuck <laughs> Two months before the game was supposed to release. Now, this doesn't mean they didn't do anything right at all. It was voted best game at show at E3 1997. Yeah, yeah, I actually remember Hold on. that. Like, game critics Listen awards. to this, though. Okay. Even though there wasn't much of a game to show anyway, it was essentially a tech demo they were showing. 
their tech demo won best game at show at E3 1997. Do you want to know what was also home at E3 1997? Ocarina of Time. <laughs> Hold on. Banjo Kazooie, <laughs> Conquer's Bad Fur Day, Final Fantasy VII, F Zero 64, yeah. GoldenEye, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> Resident Evil 2, Star Fox 64, Fallout, Oddworld, <laughs> and more. <laughs> That's some tough competition. <laughs> 1998 might have been the best year in fucking I think video games. Starcraft 1 was 98 as well. So what you're telling me is that Half-Life is better. (laughs) Half-Life as a tech demo is better than GoldenEye. No, GoldenEye won. I'm pretty sure GoldenEye won. uh, Prove it. <laughs> well, hey, I thought initially E3 you could bring a tech demo get not now you have to have it playable, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, a nineteen 1990- Well, yeah, it's because the most stacked lineup of all time lost to a tech demo so, half-life. <laughs> so it's 2000, 1998, 2004, 2007 and 2013 yes. would be my years of choice. I agree. Because 2004 was Half Life 2 and Halo, Halo 2. 2, Half Life 2, San Andreas, San Andreas Metal, Gear Solid 3. Metal Gear Solid 3, and then 2007 was the Orange Box, Assassin's Creed 1, Rock Band, Rock Mass Band. Effect, Bioshock. Bioshock, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare, yeah. Halo 3, yes. and then yeah. 2013 was Bioshock Infinite, GTA 5, GTA Last 5, of Us, Last of Us, Gone Home, yeah. Tomb Raider. Tomb yep. Raider. Fucking a lot of good a. shit. But yeah, 1998, yeah, 1998 also did have Ocarina of Time, right? Ocarina was, of Time, exactly. <laughs> so. Nintendo actually didn't show Ocarina of Time in 1973. No, they, they were didn't. quiet about it, which, you know, good for them. Yeah. But they did all, all that other shit was there. 2007 <laughs> and 2013, man. Mm-hmm. Well, fucking on a, top of all man. that, yeah, of course, fucking <laughs> rock man. <laughs> On top of all that, they did have assets, okay? The guns and the monsters were really fucking cool. They also had groundbreaking AI. Yeah, yeah, especially the way the soldiers interacted. Yes, in the way it reacted to the players and the environments in incredibly realistic ways. And the models themselves were expressive and functional, mostly thanks to that really well-made skeletal animation system, which was actually used to solve one of their major problems. How do you get models' mouths to move so it looked like they were talking. Now, this kind of sounds like an arbitrary problem now, but remember, this was a long time ago. This is a long time before pressing F to pay respects, okay? (laughs) This tech that they sort of developed for that is still being used to this day. Absolutely. Even in the world of, like, mocap, if you're ever wondering how games like Mass Effect or Dragon Age or any of those giant RPGs that have people talking, like, they can't animate the mouths Mm -hmm. for hundreds of hours of dialogue. So they came up with a system, and I think this is based somewhat on Half-Life, but other games use it too, where it like processes the syllables in what is being said and then flaps their mouth accordingly. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because the thing that really blew me away about Half-Life, and I'm sure a lot of people at the time, was the fact that that game didn't have cutscenes. It just was like everything was happening around you while you had free free movement and control. Like We'll actually go into that a little bit more because that's something that they kind of pioneered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, called immersive storytelling. Yeah. Oh, by the way, real quick, GoldenEye won the Academy of Arts and Sciences first Game of the Year yeah, award. Yeah, what do they... What do they know? What do they know? <laughs> Sorry, it was not the E3 award. Yeah, that was you. the one that, yeah, the Half-Life yeah. Tech Demo won, but GoldenEye won the that one. <laughs> yeah, won the Academy of Arts and Sciences. <laughs> I'll trust him. Yeah. What, what, what won the Oscar that year? Because that's another Academy. <laughs> In 1998? 
I don't know. Was that the year fucking? Is that the year Shakespeare in Love beat Saint Private Ryan? Because that was a load of horseshit. (laughs) (laughs) That might have been ninety nine. I don't remember. (laughs) So yeah, they basically use their animated skeletal system to use bones and create a jaw system in the head of the actual fucking models, and that was used with how they were like talk. That was used to make them talk. Cool. It's fucking incredible. And you're right. They use like nodes to see how the lips and shit's moving nowadays, and they translate it with that syllable system like you were saying but like this is absolutely like the pioneers that is they already had their skeletal bone system which allowed their players to move and granted if you look at Half-Life now you're like this is the dumbest blocky shit ever but like at the time the way they moved was like holy shit this is fucking mind blowing and to have them move their mouths to talk was even more fucking crazy we're talking pre-2000 here and this is still fucking happening mm-hmm. yeah used once again by halo yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a collection of innovative and creative things but there was nothing there to hold them together but because of that showing at e3 half-life was getting like a shitload of buzz it was about to be like the next big thing apparently pre-orders were in the hundreds of fucking thousands by the way i think we might have mentioned it on a previous and maybe it was the voice actor one where austin you brought up like what was one of the first games you remember with like a lot of voice acting and with me it probably Probably was Half Life. Yeah, I didn't play Half Life till after I played a lot of other games. So right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I played it when Half Life Two came out, and I never finished it because the graphics were just atrocious. <laughs> hey, they they weren't when they when <laughs> I, Gearbox I remade it on the PS2 that we we talked about on our previous two parter. Yeah, because it had Randy co-op. Pitchford. Well, that was yeah. that was a separate campaign. You fucking Mark. <laughs> that was a whole different thing. Get, also, lose also, your lose your friends and play games by yourself like a real gamer. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Also, Chris, I got to say the idea of a bunch of people pre-ordering a physical PC game, like I had to... It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of wild to think about. So John Carmack was skeptical, and this quote kind of makes him sound like a dick who's just afraid that it'll be better than Quake, but listen, quote, for whatever reasons, Half-Life was the license we paid the least attention to during development. The early showings and screenshots never really got us very excited. Sounds like someone's a little jealous. That's the game about. It does sound like it, because those screenshots, everybody in the industry was like, this looks fucking cool. I I thought it looked dope. I saw one of those alien scientist dudes. I was like, I was that's all a, about it. That's a game development version of negging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, though, in order to make that holiday goal that was originally set and now being looked forward to in a big way by publisher Sierra by all those pre-orders, I, I bet, they have I already bet Sierra started. had a lot riding on that. <laughs> Yeah, well, they had a lot riding yeah, on this. Yeah. They had already started moving the wheels on the PR machine, and they would be delivering something they weren't confident in. They had cover stories for Half-Life. Oh, yeah. I had, like, EGM and maybe GamePro had cover stories of Half-Life. Sierra rolled yeah. out the team for it. Totally. Dude. That money was this definitely, was going to bring like, them back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sierra. So, by the end of 1997, they had a hard decision to make. And it was risky. It would strain their relationship with the publisher. Uh-oh. And it would risk the company itself, since there's every salary that was paid came right from Gabe and Mike's personal bank accounts. The ultimate video game uh (laughs) (laughs) they decided it would be best to scrap almost everything and start over by meticulously reassembling the pieces they had into the game they wanted to make wait really half-life yeah 
Half-Life was totally almost thrown away completely, and they started over just after, I'd say, August-September area of 1997. I knew knew it was delayed into 98. I didn't know they were like, ah, fuck all this. It just goes to show, in order to make a phenomenal, history-making first-person shooter, you can't start the campaign until at least six months before it's supposed to come out. Because this lines up very well with our, our Halo that, Yeah, I was going to say, the same thing happened there, too. Yep. It's just tech demos for three years, and then you just crunch <laughs> on the campaign. Right? And that's literally what happened. I'm not even fucking kidding. Yeah, I know. There's a quote by Michael Abrash that I didn't put in here, but I read that he's saying something like, pretty much Valve spent the first year learning how to make a game and the second year making it, you know? Wow. So, they created what is referred to all over as a cabal. I kept reading the Half-Life Cabal, the Cabal, the Valve Cabal. The like from like, Mortal Kombat? Damn it, Damn. we both yeah. the same joke. <laughs> no, like the Cabal, a group of people. Oh, 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 by, oh. by the way, I wrote Animated Skeletal System down, new band name. <laughs> I'm excited to see your Photoshop. (laughs) So, basically, the Cabal was a rotating six-person team made up of engineers, animators, writers, level designers, and then, of course, also Gabe and Harrington. Yeah, it's crazy to me to think that Level decided and Half-Life came that much later, because the pacing and structure of that game is so monumental in its success. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They would spend six hours a day, four days a week in meetings, and they would go through every single thing about the game. They started off by taking a month. They were like, all right, here's this group of people. You're doing this for a month. Everybody else, don't do anything else. They took everything they had, put it all into one single level, and then they played that level. Damn, man. Apparently, it ended up being, quote, Die Hard meets Evil Dead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into that. If there's one way I would describe Half-Life, it's that. (laughs) Yeah. Ken Birdwell, who was one of the guys who masterfully engineered that original skeletal system and the moving mouth thing, I keep seeing him referred to as a genius all over the place. This dude was like pretty much a programming fucking mastermind. Yeah, great name too. (laughs) Yeah, Ken Birdwell, yeah. He's the one who said Die Hard meets Evil Dead. And this was to set the tone for all of the level design in the game going forward. They were focusing on three specific things. One, experiential density, (laughs) which I'll let Ken describe (laughs) himself, okay? okay? (laughs) Quote, our goal was that once active, the player never had to wait long before the next stimulus, be it monster, special effect, plot point, action sequence, and so on. It's a nerd way of saying pacing. Okay. Yes. Right. Stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> Why complicated? So because they're nerds, dude. All right. It's experiential density. It's like okay. literally what I said. I'm like, gonna stop saying pacing and start min- saying experiential density. Ninety seconds ago, but are you? Yeah. Okay. Which of course. I can't wait till the next movie we see together. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has terrible experiential density. <laughs> Which, of course, all of that was meticulously refined to match the tone and the plot direction even further. You know what I mean? Like, they spent time figuring out all that stuff. Second, player acknowledgement. 
You following this one, Randy? You following that okay. one? <laughs> yes. The game world would respond to and be affected by the players. Yeah, the he- so they, if you their shot heads a- literally turn to talk to you. Yes. Yeah. If you shot a door or a wall or a machine, those things would have marks in them that would let you know that you've personally impacted that world. And on top of that, like Randall just said, the AI would turn and look at you when you yeah. enter a room. So good. Or they would call your name as you walked by. They would. And even the further away you got... It would like quiet down and it would be really loud if you're standing next to him and stuff like yes that blew me away back then man this in fact would be one of the defining features and pioneering moves by this game itself basically players would set the pace of the game and the progress was defined and triggered by the player you had to talk to an npc to move this along or go into a specific room to trigger this scripted event and so on yeah what you were talking about earlier this is pioneered by them this environmental storytelling you're setting the pace by being like, oh, I walk into this room. Event happens in the world around you. Half-Life fucking knocked it out of the fucking yeah, park with this. It was so and fucking I, cool, and I think dude. <laughs> this is one of the key things that makes this game so successful and so have such a powerful legacy. Yeah, but how big were the guns, though? <laughs> <laughs> Quake got bigger, faster gun screen, so I played Quake. <laughs> and lastly, was that players would be responsible for failure. The game wouldn't just kill them with no warning. There were clues or warnings that danger was coming. The idea here is that if players were continually killed by the game, they would grow to dislike the game. Mm. However, if the players felt that they had tried and in turn failed and it made a mistake resulting in their death, they would recognize it as their own fault and try and move forward trying to be better and trying to beat the game. I mean, there was a lot of cool signals with sound as well, like you know, the HEV suit and stuff. I love the sound effects and design in that game. It was a good way to know that you were dying or fucking up. A little bit of Destiny's design philosophy was like, dangle the fucking carrot on the stick and they were very open about that like right, this I like, get yeah. kind of like the same kind of vibe like a whole like they're trying to be like alright we want you to keep playing the game we don't want the game to beat you we want you to beat the game so it's like if you die it's your fault it's not cause the game just killed you really quick you know right yeah yeah so good way to foreshadow that stuff yeah Pushing forward with this philosophy in mind, the development actually started progressing pretty well. And though the hopeful release date kept being pushed further and further into 1998, to the point where some at Sierra, oh sorry, some Sierra employees joked on whether or not Half-Life would ever be released. Oh, the sweet <laughs> foreshadowy irony. <laughs> Eventually, the team had a 200-page design document that detailed everything about the game in painful detail, including, like, button locations and stuff like that. And it was accompanied by a 30-page narrative outline that they had hired science fiction writer Mark Laidlaw, who I had never heard of. Maybe some of our listeners are familiar with him. I am familiar with Mark Laidlaw, but that's only because of (laughs) Half-Life. Yeah. They hired him to help manage the script, and he would basically mold all these greater narratives ideas into a more cohesive story Hmm. so we'll go fast forward a little bit to e3 1998 and half-life was a big success there the buzz was back on and everyone is excited to get their hands on this game they had a real true demo this time not just a tech demo and things are moving forward (laughs) yeah but this means not good news for everybody What usually comes after E3 for games at this time is crunch time, if you're talking about holiday releases. This is kind of like a deadly historical cycle in video games, period. E3 releases, crunch time for holiday release to capitalize on the E3 buzz. 
And Valve is no stranger to this, especially not now. They're not free of that fucking just awful thing about the industry we love so much. Valve would first have to make a special version of the game made to ship with hardware developers, graphics cards. Do you remember when people put decent games with graphics cards? (laughs) I mean, what what comes out now? They still do all right with that. I will have you know that our friend bought a graphics card recently and it came with Ghost Recon Breakpoint. So, (laughs) all right, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I thought they were giving RE3 away with some graphics cards. They are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Break. Well, they're, they're not giving anything away with graphics cards now. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> So they would basically build a special version of the game called Half-Life Day 1. It included the first fifth of the game. Wow, I can't believe that concept has existed in this industry for that long. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait, day did one. That, that game take place over five days? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Wait, what is that a reference to? <laughs> because it's called Half-Life Day 1. It's one fifth of the game. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad, bad oh. joke. Continue. <laughs> It wasn't meant to be for public consumption, but obviously if you've ever heard of the internet, you'll know that wasn't going to last for Never long. Never heard of it. Could you explain it, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically it's like a network of computers networking to each other's networks, inter-network, you know what I mean? Like, that's... <laughs> I'm following so anyway. <laughs> That'll never take off. Mark my words. Then pornography. Oh, well, uh, then money. Then, bit, then Bitcoin. Uh, back, uh. back out of it. <laughs> All right. So basically, it spread across the internet, and the general consensus was that this was one of the best fucking 3D games ever made. You remember what John Carmack said earlier? Like, ah, eh, we weren't really excited. I'm not looking forward <laughs> I to it. I want to hear his quote now. <laughs> John Carmack said, "Quote." Most of the Texas game development community was stunned by the final Half-Life demo. There has never been a game demo that got as big a reaction at id as the Half-Life OEM version. <laughs> All right, we well, had some doubts, but it looks like Valve's plan worked. <laughs> at least he was a good sport about it yeah. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't like, I never said that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Id's other founder, Kevin Cloud, he said, quote, from art to design to programming, Half-Life is the best produced and most intelligently designed 3D game I have ever played. If games are a combination of programming, art, and design, then Half-Life is a great balance of all three. It defies the prevalent notion that storyline and interactive environments are the antithesis of gaming action. So, Damn, pretty man. fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. Good review. Yeah. No doubt everyone was excited. But the game was still a month out from release, and if you know anything about games or what we talked about earlier, you know that the amount of work ahead that was still to be done to meet that November date was a lot. Right, yeah. Side story time, because I forgot to put this in when I was writing, and I was like going through my sources at the end, and I was like, fuck, I forgot about this. Apparently, a few months before the game was shipped, they lost the entire compiled game and all of its what? backups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something called their... Maybe you can explain it to me, Austin. I couldn't find it. I found one thing. It's a VSS. Do you know what that no. is? It was some sort of terminology for some sort of like network or system, I believe. But apparently that failed, and they lost all of their backups, all of the compiled game, everything. Apparently they reassembled the game from fragmented versions across several different employees' computers. So the original game files don't actually exist in the final game. It's just this reworked version. (laughs) Yeah, that's just fucking nuts. Yeah. (laughs) So, sometime later, as the development was finally winding down, 
and people were being released from their 24-hour work days and wondering what to do with themselves now they had woken up from some crunch coma. They wandered back to their significant others and homes, all while Jan Bernier, I believe, a software engineer, and Mike Harrington were still hard at work trying to iron out one last bug, which was an issue preventing the multiplayer games from functioning properly. Apparently it was pretty detrimental. Now, I'm going to quote this little GameSpot article because I think it expresses soberly, whoever wrote this, just how much crunch can hurt people. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. Quote, Harrington now has a beard, which has slowly developed over the week as he's worked nonstop on finishing the game. On the wall opposite the windows, there's a whiteboard that lists days to ship. And they're all marked off. Valve was supposed to be done with its game on Monday. It's now Thursday. And the pressure on Harrington to finish is enormous. So, it's yeah. it's it's no fun. And unfortunately still very much relevant. Like you yeah. said, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we don't have to talk about it, but one of our obviously favorite darling developers just is fucking catching a lot of heat for this shit. Yeah. You know? Naughty Dog is what I'm referring to. Apparently that bug on the multiplayer was a one-line fix. And apparently the bug was solved, and the game was sent out. Yeah, welcome to software development, where you spend <laughs> yeah. weeks and weeks looking through thousands and thousands of lines of code, and you find out that you spelled something wrong or left out a semicolon. God, or... this sounds miserable. Why Why do you do this? I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, at its 4 p.m. daily meeting, Valve gathered everyone to announce that the game had indeed gone gold, which means it was finished and ready for production. Apparently, gone gold is popularized because writable discs used to be a majority gold-colored, so they used to call it going gold when your game was ready to be produced. Yeah. Yeah. We bought PC games on discs. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yeah. We we were having a conversation recently about the last... Oh, it was... Chris, I think it was when I was talking to you about StarCraft 2. Yeah. That was the last physical PC game I bought in 2011, I think. The first one. The the last physical PC game I received... I didn't buy it, but I got Fallout New Vegas for my birthday one year, and I had the physical PC copy. That was like the last time I've ever had a the physical last, PC The game. last physical PC game that I bought was Anthem, and I bought five copies of it. <laughs> Wait, I haven't opened the one that I got in the in the. Yeah, fucking... nobody has except me, because I'm an idiot. The, the white elephant. Wait, hey, was, they're, re- <laughs> they're reworking it. Ground up, boys. They are. Yeah, hang so on we'll, to your I'll be grandfathered in. Yep. I thought it was just a code in there. I didn't know there was a disc. Oh, no. Yeah, there's no disc. The oh. last one I the guy that had a disc was The Division, the first Division. Oh, yeah. So, Which is hilarious, because it's a service game, so yeah, I was gonna say. useless now. Was Siege a disc? I didn't get Siege physical. Oh, it was a friend of ours that did. Yeah. Yeah. I've got plenty of console games physical, obviously. Oh, no, me too. I still buy physical Siege console games. Siege was a disc. Siege was a disc. I just find it funny with PC games, because most PC builds now don't even have a disc drive. Like, mine doesn't. Mine doesn't. I have an external that I use to burn. I don't. No? no? You don't have a disc drive on your PC, Austin? No, why would I want one? I'm now thinking, like, I'm trying to look over my t- Tower, my tower's turned around. I don't know if I have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think have I one. Might. I have, I don't a, remember. I have like a USB disk drive. They're useless for everything except for burning CDs, which is why you have your external. No, one. You're right. Uh, that's true. I have 600 super fast USB ports, but I don't know if I have. <laughs> <laughs> so you can burn your mixes for all your friends, like a like a mixtape. Yeah. Which is weird, because you're into cassettes. You feel like you'd make cassette mixtapes. I do make cassette mixtapes. Oh, wow. You're such a fucking loser. Why do, you think I, why, do you think, why do you think I haven't made a CD in a long time? Because you're a fucking hipster? 
That just means I'm with it, dude. Right, so, uh-huh. the event... That- <laughs> now it means... It didn't used to mean poser. <laughs> I'm actually... Uh, fucking stupid. I'm actually burning all my favorite songs onto a wax cylinder for all my friends. So... <laughs> Yeah, I got a player, a player piano card, like a punch, like ticket thing. I actually had a friend scream them all into a glass tube, and then the sound vibrated a microphone, and then I converted that to MIDI. And then- listen, because that's a fucking dope. Get over it. Final school two. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> CDs or whatever. I don't really care about CDs. All right, so. <laughs> This event was a bit solemn, though it wasn't totally devoid of excitement. Everyone was just kind of tired, but they were all very relieved that all their hard work was about to go out into the real world. Gabe Newell picked up a crowbar and swung it at a headcrab pinata, sending it flying across the room, (laughs) and Mike Harrington came next. Yeah, that's the picture I sent you earlier. (laughs) Oh man, that's gotta be in the thumbnail. (laughs) Yeah. I want a, uh, I want a yeah. head crab pinata for my next birthday. They literally had a, a real crowbar, I mind you. That's why the, in the picture the pinata is like yeah. flying <laughs> off the fucking screen. Because <laughs> it's a pinata being hit by a giant metal crowbar. Fucking awesome. <laughs> Mike Harrington and Gabe both beat it up. They got the pinata killed. <laughs> Quote, I don't mean to diminish all the hard work that went into this game, but there was an element of luck associated with Half-Life. Hopefully its success will let us do even more interesting things with our next game. Newell was already looking forward to the future. So Little did Half-Life he know had... that it would be seven fucking years or six yeah. years. I don't remember until Half-Life 2. Half-Life had undeniably changed video games forever. Its release set the bar very fucking high. Elements of its design philosophy and gameplay would become staples. Yeah. I remember playing this game as a kid and my fucking head exploded, dude. <laughs> that entire opening scene on the tram yeah. and then you're going into the lab. Yeah. I mean, I was just sitting here jerking off and playing Lords of Magic, which is another <laughs> Sierra title, by the way. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, I was playing a first-person shooter game that had story being told in like this unique cinematic way that I had never well, fucking was, seen before. It was funny. Like, Half-Life and Metal Gear Solid were the same year and they both had opening credits like a movie. Like, it yes. was just this direct directed cinematic thing. It felt like a movie. Yeah, it was fucking The level design was so immersive and reactive. The enemies were frightening. You'd go into a room and a scientist would get ripped up by a tentacle or you'd you'd turn a corner looking for health and all of a sudden you're getting sucked into the ceiling. Or like where you're talking to a scientist from under a bathroom (laughs) fucking stall. Like there are so many cool little fucking things in that game. Like that just absolutely blew my mind. The immersiveness comes up over and over again. Granted, in retrospect, you're just like, oh, well, it's just great walls and a couple of crates dude in 1998 it was like this felt like a real fucking research facility because of the way the story was being told around you it helped you get you into that mindset it was it was fucking incredible it it changed how i play games and i think it definitely changed my expectations for what i wanted to see in games first person shooter style from the rest of my fucking life yeah that lords of magic game by the way that sierra game is the reason that I love real-time strategy games nowadays in my life. Playing that game as a kid, like, set me up to, like, RTSs as much as I do now. <laughs> By the way, sorry, I just, I looked up the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. He's so, still on the Golden no, no, thing, no. dude. So, Get over Golden it. I did win in 97, but Austin, you'll probably be pleased to hear that Half-Life unfortunately lost in 1998 to The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Hell yeah. What the? <laughs> yeah. Half-Life is absolutely a genre-defining fucking thing. Yeah. Oh my god. 
time out. This doesn't have to go in, but I was about to be like, there's a reason I have a Zelda tattoo and not a Half-Life tattoo. You have a Half-Life tattoo. Guess what? I do have a Half-Life tattoo. I forgot about it. <laughs> How did you for- I didn't even forget about it. It's on my elbow, so I never see it. Uh, okay. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> I guess that's true. That's how I feel about the Smash Brothers one on my leg. I, I forget it's there until like, I shower. So yeah, just and I, have- I literally just now remembered. This <laughs> black mace. <laughs> I have a oh, shit. I have a brink tattoo. <laughs> yeah, but it's on your ass. Like that's, yeah. 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 Well, it goes perfectly with my brink penis shaft tattoo. I have. Never forget. Yeah. So, what was next for Valve? Well, for starters, expansions to Half Life. Starting in 1999, Half-Life Opposing Force was created by now-famed Gearbox Software. (laughs) You know, Gearbox Software, they're known for making some drives full of pornography for magicians. They're they're famed for promising their employees bonuses based on game sales and then not delivering. Topical. Topical. I was also going to say, for more episodes on Gearbox and those Half-Life expansions, please listen to both episodes 41 and 42 of Hot Button. Yes. Especially so you can understand in our pornography magicians <laughs> references. <laughs> also, those expansions were fucking killer. And not yes. to repeat myself from those episodes, but it's really neat to see like the different perspectives of that. Absolutely. That Gear- Gearbox like a, would also make events. a second expansion, yeah, called Half-Life Blue Shift in 2003. And like Randall just said, the games will play from the perspective of different characters during the events of the first Half-Life game. You'd be a Marine in an opposing force and security guard Barney Calhoun in Blue Shift. Hell yeah. So it was I really cool Barney. to see like the same story from a different fucking perspective. You are right that is so fucking cool yeah but most notably next valve would begin a lifelong relationship with modders and small-time developers that few other video game companies would ever come close to for better or for worse (laughs) now there were plenty of mods games and other programs built by the community using gold source but there are a few that stand out And there's one of them in particular that has a legacy that lasts to this day, perhaps growing to be even more well-known than Valve itself. And I, of course, mean Day of Defeat. You guys remember (laughs) Day of Defeat? That's like the one fucking series I didn't name in the opener. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say Ricochet. Ricochet. <laughs> yeah, ri- no, Ricochet's, I think, 2001 or something oh. later. I played Day of Defeat. I don't think I've ever played Ricochet. I played Ricochet. How is it? Sucks. That's not bad. That's right. a game. It's a video game. <laughs> So, in 1999, while looking to expand his job prospect opportunities after college, Min Lee began working on a project for the Gold Source engine. Apparently, it wasn't out yet, so he spent a bunch of his time modeling characters, and then when Gold Source came out, he spent a month putting together this game with the help of his friend Jess Cliff. This game that he put together in a month was a mod called Half-Life Counter-Strike. Yeah. And this game, to nobody's surprise, was a gigantic fucking hit. The two men continued to update the game more and more until eventually Valve themselves approached them and said, hey, we'll buy the Counter-Strike intellectual property. We'll give you both jobs working for the company developing the game. They both took it on, obviously. (laughs) And a little over a year after its creation, in November of 2000, once again with Sierra Publishing, Valve released the official Half-Life Counter-Strike game, which obviously 
has become Counter-Strike. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a legacy on how Counter-Strike and the modding community worked together, Austin suggested he's going to do an episode, but I highly suggest, I know I don't want to like promote another shit, but it doesn't matter. I highly suggest watching No Clips Half-Life yes, documentary. I was literally yes, just about to say yes. that. <laughs> that Irish yes. bastard strikes again. <laughs> yeah. And the truth is, I was like, wait, No Clip did that documentary. And I was like, wait, he only talks about Half-Life for like the first 20 minutes of the documentary. Documentary. Like most of the documentary is about the modding community and Counter Strike. Yeah, the way they cover the story of Counter, like the way he covers the story of Counter Strike, and that is very interesting. It is. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly interesting, which is cool because, like, you know, gives us opportunities to tell our stories. Yeah, no, absolutely. I highly suggest listening to that. It dives into the legacy of the modding community in general as well. It's fucking great documentary. Yeah, definitely listen for to sure. It. And then in 2003, that same year that they came out with Blue Shift. Valve reincorporated. This is around the Source Engine era, right? Like, like yes. Yeah. Valve incorporated again to become the Valve Corporation this time. Which is wild. I, like, sorry, I just looked it up. Yeah, you're totally. Yeah. It just says like Valve LLC, 1996 to 2003, and then Valve yeah. Corporation <laughs> post that. Like, I, yeah. I never just connected those dots in my head for some reason. They <laughs> moved their offices to Bellevue, Washington. And that same year... How far away was that from Microsoft? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what? Bellevue? I'm not sure. That same year, in 2003, they would release Steam. And in the following year to come, they would release the new Source Engine. They would release Half-Life 2. Then it would be followed by a string of zombies, portals, lawsuits, and (laughs) unfinished stories. My favorite! But we're going to save all that for (laughs) Valve history... Development, whatever, part two. Part two! Oh, wait. So, steam comes from a valve. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. (laughs) When you asked about the guy with the valve in his eye, their old school, like, big logo yeah. that was just they were just like hired an artist and he just made that and they're like oh cool oh, and really? that's it there's no interesting story <laughs> wow. yeah that's not like a photograph of somebody who works there and then they like no nope. uh, it may be but i don't think it is i think it's just <laughs> just an artist uh, oh, rendering. what about the guy with the valve on the back of his head that's the same guy i don't think it's not the same guy the, uh, the no. guy the other guy's bald yeah. oh yeah no but then he turned around remember when he turned around that was wild uh, yeah. dude well, it's I will say that, that like yeah. bassy guitar yeah. intro. This is a yeah. awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna make that valve steam joke again next time. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll be on the lookout. <laughs> just for so it. everybody knows, yeah. it's gonna be just as funny. In part two, we're gonna cover Half Life Two, which not as cool as the upstarty Half Life One, but it's way awful and there's <laughs> a lot of delays, obviously. And, 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 and yeah, involved. I was gonna say you say this is where all the legal shit also. <laughs> it comes in. Yeah. We'll cover Steam, which, if you haven't heard of Steam, there's not really much to its history other than they had no clue they were creating the most fucking insane monopoly ever <laughs> until obviously recently. Yeah. And we'll go through all the other little companies they scooped up, like Turtle Rock, and we'll talk about the Orange yes, Box, yeah. and we'll go into a lot of other stuff. So uh, I'm excited. That'll be for part two. It's very cool to have this trip down memory lane, but also like to just have direct experience with every project you're talking about about like like, i've played so much of all of this shit play artifact (laughs) no (laughs) sorry and then yeah and then i'm a valve fan (laughs) yeah 
depending on how long like a couple of the other histories take like i'm about halfway i'd say through that one cool. maybe we'll put it in but if not we'll have a part three where we'll wrap up like the vr stuff they've done which is incredible we can talk about artifact and steam box and the controller yeah and all absolutely that shit, so. the best controller anybody has hold ever on made. i gotta i gotta play, i gotta play a sound real quick It's such a good... <laughs> oh, gets me. That's <laughs> beautiful. Well, that's it. Yeah. All right. All right dope. <laughs> Austin, you want to do your closers? What, what? what are they? <laughs> <laughs> or not closers. Closer. Sorry. Yeah, what's going on? I don't, you know how to end the show. So, thank you for listening. <laughs> if you stumbled onto this in between sessions of playing Half-Life Alex, you lucky bastard able to get a <laughs> VR headset now. <laughs> you rich fucking... You rich fuck. Uh, I'm talking <laughs> to you, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> he says no. it's dope, by the way. I'm, I am jealous. Yeah, I am very I'm jealous. sure it is. It yeah. looks incredible. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. If this is your first episode and you're stuck indoors like the rest of us, uh, yeah. we got a shitload of episodes and a lot of them cross over with this one. Yes. I think we brought up a couple, but you know, go through. We got some fun ones. We got some interesting ones. We got some fucked up sad ones. And anywhere in between. <laughs> yeah. You can find... Yeah, for a while, things were kind of like untethered, but we didn't have things designated in the pipeline and then all this shit happened and we're yeah. like, oh, now we have all yeah. this time to work on yeah. all this um, shit. So we got oh, exciting stories coming. Yeah, we got our website, hotbuttoncast.com. You can find all our episodes in there. You can search for any time topics you want find whatever episodes including if you want some half-life stuff to hold you over yeah check out our gearbox um, episodes gearbox episode we have a csgo episode gets oh, a little yes. bit into the yeah, uh, into steam in there as well yeah that's a um, good one yeah that's why i didn't want to get too much into development of counter-strike because it's like the coolest part about counter-strike is that story yeah. <laughs> no i think the way you're doing it is the right way because yeah. otherwise it would yeah and i'll come up with an episode in the future that'll cover all the rest of the boring shit we have from our website you can get to links to like spotify iTunes, Google Play, all that shit. We're on any podcast service. I think by this point, if you just search hot button, you'll find us. I think so too. Subscribe. Also, leave like, a review. Leave a review on iTunes. Yes. And for more information on our upcoming ventures, whatever episodes we're putting out, and to keep track of what we're doing, you can uh, request a topic. You, yeah, if, uh, you can request a yeah, topic I always on their website. Have that, I so. always forget it too, yes. and I made it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we also have all our socials: Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Hot Button Cast follow us on there we talked in the past about video stuff we're looking into getting into video stuff so Whoops. you can follow our youtube but we're kind of uh, not able to really record the video in the same room right now so yeah that might be put on hold a little bit but we do have one we got recorded. all the stuff for it yeah it'll <laughs> it'll be happening it looks it'll awesome happen, yeah so yeah follow us there keep up with all the shit that we're doing and return in two weeks to hear when valve goes from little makers of some fun first person shooters yes. to owning the moon <laughs> mega corporation <laughs> yeah. yeah also if you're just out there fucking spread the word like little podcasts yeah. like ours have to grow organically <laughs> so like if your friends are talking about video games and you like the podcast just be like hey you should check out this show like oh you like that I listened to an episode of Hop on about that. Maybe yeah. you should check it out. We got yeah. topics um, on, do it on Twitter. From Mario, fucking like shout GTA. us out on Twitter. Be like, hey, Hop Button. I'm suggesting everybody watch Hop Button. Like, <laughs> you know, tweet about the show. Fucking talk to your friends. Word of mouth is crucial for shows like us. So, thank you. Also, yeah. I mean, if you are listening to this, another thing, hit us up. DM us yeah, or yeah, something. Text me. Tweet us. Just text me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my Chris, phone number is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
my ad- just uh, send me a letter. My, we, my address we, we is... We obviously have, like, the statistics of the people that are listening, and it's it's surprising. I don't want to make us sound too good at what we do, <laughs> but, like, the global reach that we have, it's not just, like, the state that we live in and our friends are listening. So if you're out there and you don't personally know us, like, hit us up, you know, DM us or something. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you what you think and stuff like that. that. All that feedback yeah. has been amazing, so. But, yeah, I think that's all the plugs. Mm-hmm. Everybody and their mom is starting a podcast now, but we were there on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're on the ground floor of the very 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 late generation of creating podcasts. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Yeah, stay safe. Social distance. Stay at home. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Be careful. Drink beer. You know, download Discord. Hang out with your friends. Don't yes. go crazy. Listen Thank to God our podcast. For Discord right now. And we will see you all in two weeks with the continued history of Valve. Bye.